Hey! Welcome to Urban Planning is Not Boring. I'm Sam. And I'm Nat. Welcome back to Urban Planning is Not Boring. It is not boring. And today we have some not so boring topics that we're going to talk about. Yeah. But before we do that, we definitely need to have a little recap from our previous episode. And Sam, I have a really, uh, really big question for you. How was your experience visiting your third place last week? (laughs) It was lovely. First of all, um, if you're in California, you've probably been experiencing some rain. Yeah. Way big crazy weather. So that was an added challenge. I didn't want to leave because it was raining almost all of last week where I am. But I was like, Sam, no, you made a promise to the pod. You made a promise <laughs> and to the listeners that you would go outside, not just outside, but you would go to a third place. So I did. I went to this new, I think it's new. I don't remember ever seeing it before, but it could have just like been something that I just noticed. But this cute coffee shop and it was, let me tell you, packed there. It like line out the door on a rainy day, which was crazy. And I was like, okay, I'm going to bring a book. I'm not going to wear my headphones. And did I talk to people? Not really. I did talk to the people that worked there, but everyone, I feel like everyone was kind of like in their, in their groove or with someone else, um, which is fine. And I got a coffee and I hung out for a while. Um, just reading my book, you know, it was nice. It was good to get out of my routine and it was, um, like a really cute place and the coffee was good. And yeah, I love feeling Very happy. I love that. I also feel like when there's a line out the door on one of the rainiest days California has ever seen, that's how you know it's going to be good coffee. So that's how you know you've made a great decision. And I I just like, yeah. And I've been experimenting with getting different types of coffee. I feel like I was basic and I would like only get lattes. I was like, I'm going to get like a cortado or like something different, a cappuccino maybe. Even though like, so what'd you get? What was the decision? I got a Cortado, which I didn't know how teeny tiny they were. So it came in this <laughs> cute little glass. And I was like sipping with my, I don't know. I was just like, it was so, I'd never had one before. And I was like, if I'm going to be doing something new, different, I'm going to get something new and different. But I liked it and loved how cute the little teeny tiny glass it came in was. That is fantastic. Are you like obsessed with those videos of the little the little character like who cooks with like really tiny stuff oh like the little uh looking things yes yeah i'm obsessed with those videos so yeah Yeah. a little tiny cup that sounds like my ideal third place visit yeah i'm pretty (laughs) sure it's like one shot like if i don't know if it's just one shot of espresso it seems like it and like equal parts milk so it's like Mm -hmm. small but yeah I love that. That's fantastic. I also experienced, okay, I actually have a very fun third place story because I met someone. Um, okay. For context, I have a local coffee shop that I always go to. I'm obsessed with coffee. I go every morning and then sometimes I go twice a day. I have a real problem. 
if I'm being quite honest. But anyways, I went to my third place, my little coffee shop, and I was um, working. And all of a sudden, this uh, gentleman comes and asks if he could like sit on the chair next to me because it was really crowded and he needed a place to sit. And I did have my headphones in, but like when he came and sat down, like I had taken them out so that he knew like, it, you know, this is a safe place. You can speak to me. Um, and so I had taken my headphones out, like just to talk to him. And, um, he had asked me like, Oh, can you watch my stuff? Whatever. I was like, yeah, no problem. So then he came back and he sat down and he was like, so what are you studying? And I was like, Oh, I'm actually out of school. Um, I'm working right now. And he asked me like, Oh, what do you do for work? And I told him, you know what I did. And he was like, Oh, is that like what you got your degree in? And I was like, yeah, I have a degree in urban planning. And he was like, Oh, I did my minor in urban planning. And I was like, Whoa. So all of a sudden I met a fellow urban planner out in the (laughs) wild, out in my third place. And guys, this is what Sam and I are saying. Your third places, this is where you foster connection with did folks. you tell him about the podcast I did I was like you know it's really crazy I was just talking about the benefit of like going to a third place mm-hmm. and like meeting people and he was like oh what do you mean and I was yeah talking to him about that so hopefully he's listening and if so hello and <laughs> thank you for coming <laughs> but yeah guys this is and what we're so, saying hello yeah. shout out to that gentleman yes and guys this is what, so if you didn't follow instructions, if you didn't do the homework last week and go visit your third plate, go do it this week. Okay. And I don't want to have to tell you again. And <laughs> you will have homework this week. We're making homework. Or, just kidding. <laughs> we're like, we're going to start posting like a, what are those? Um, syllabus. Yeah. Like a syllabus. And we're going to have all the assignments and when every class yeah. boys and everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, Anyhow, um, this topic was something that I was like, okay, I think when we started the podcast, a big thing that we were doing was like shorter, like topical episodes where it's like just like key terms or like key things in different parts of planning. And I feel like having guests and stuff, it's hard to like obviously talk about like more simpler like smaller topics and I wanted to kind of like get back to that and that's something that I like this concept that we're about to talk about is something that like transportation planners are going to know probably a lot about but it's something that I work with almost every day at work like this concept and just thought that it would be like a interesting shorter like more digestible way of introducing this kind of topic that it seems really like easy when you talk about it but there's a lot of nuance to it once you like dive in so I thought it would be fun (laughs) our little transportation planner Sam wanting to talk about VMT I'm a little geeking out right now I love that. I love that so much. That's how I feel anytime I talk about anything housing related. So I'm really glad that we're making a transition over to something that Sam really loves and is very involved in. Um, But yeah, so today we're going to do a very high level overview on VMT. And obviously, I'm sure this is an acronym that you guys have heard many a time in, you know, whether it be school or work, or maybe you've read about it in an article. Um, so we just kind of want to do a, a little, you know, intro to, to VMT and all the, all the fun kind of, 
you know, I guess all the fun elements of VMT, we'll say. <laughs> yeah, this is this is our attempt to like make it not so boring. Um, okay, so I want to do the issue overview because I really want Sam to kind of dive into the legislative context of VMT as she's had a lot more experience just being involved with that. Um, so for those of you who don't know, VMT stands for Vehicle Miles Traveled. If you guys already knew that, gold star for you. You're doing really great in this class. So no far. homework for you this week. Yeah, no homework for you. You're exempt. Okay. So VMT stands for Vehicle Miles Traveled, and it is equal to the amount of miles that individuals drive that is typically measured per day. So as an example, if you drive 20 miles to work, and then from work, you drive five miles to the gym. And then from the gym, you drive 15 miles home. That would equal 40 vehicle miles traveled. So basically, these are all the destinations that you are driving to, all calculated up for the day. And those are your VMTs for the day. And the reason why I think it's important for you to understand VMT is because a lot more recently when we are talking about, you know, climate conditions and environmental concerns in transportation and housing, it's often interrelated to VMT. And this is something that we talk about a lot when we are discussing the kind of negative effects of urban sprawl or suburban sprawl being a kind of you know, catalysts for increased VMT, this is kind of what we're talking about. So Sam, I, I don't know if you want to kind of go into, you know, just when we talk about why VMT matters, if you want to talk about the the legislation that's that's been coming up. Yeah. So um, I'm going to be focused like on California legislation, just because that's what I'm most familiar with. Uh, if you are not in California, I encourage you to look and see what the state or local jurisdictions are saying about VMT. But basically, for a little bit of context, under CEQA, or California Environmental Quality Act, the, the way of measuring a transportation impact changed in 2013 with Senate Bill 743. So in California now, for new development projects, to make sure that they're or to try to make sure that they are built in ways that allows Californians to drive less, you're going to be looking at how much VMT is generated by a project. And there's like models that can do this work and research that you can look to to see kind of like, oh, if it's, you know, residential, this is kind of what you might expect each unit or each bedroom to cause. Um Previously, it was defined by level of service, which defines kind of how well vehicle traffic is measured or vehicle flow, and it's measured in seconds of delay typically. And so basically what that means is previously traffic impacts or transportation impacts under CEQA were measured in how much of a burden the project will be on the driver. So mm -hmm. it'll say, oh, well, at this intersection, it, you might have had four seconds of delay. With this project, it's going to bump to 10. Like there's going to be a lot more people, a lot more driving. And because there's a negative burden on the driver, we're going to say you can't build this project. Mm -hmm. Now, instead of saying that it's a significant impact because it impacts the driver, the significant impact means that it's generating VMT above a certain threshold. Mm -hmm. 
And I think it's really interesting that we made that change and a really good thing because now we're looking more at are people going to have to drive? Are people going to have to own a car? Are we going to be like creating more of an environmental burden, which, you know, level of service to some extent took into account just by nature of adding more trips. But now it's really focused on like, how do we make sure that there are options for people to not drive because we want to keep VMT under a specific threshold of whatever that like, usually that's left up to the local jurisdiction. So the city or MPO, but this was a really, really big change to the way that the state environmental quality act functions in a way that takes the burden from the driver to like almost to the developer and to city planning to have to figure out, okay, what amenities are we going to put near this development or where are we going to put this development so that it's already near amenities rather? And how are we going to like create more infill housing so that we're already in a downtown area or like an urban area? It's really interesting to me. That's my soapbox about (laughs) how we came to be. That is great. And, you know, although yes, I am a housing and real estate developer who should probably hate this. I'm an urban planner to my core. And so I, I love this. I love hearing when we're doing things like this. And actually, I mean, at the end of the day, where our development projects are in, in urban areas, we're not really developing in the suburbs, but, um, I think this really does also bring to light that, you know, there have been so many incentives in, you know, the recent years that have been trying to get housing built near alternative modes of transportation that are not the car. So giving people the option that, hey, you can live at this apartment complex and you don't need a vehicle. And so that's, you know, Sam and I have done many episodes about transit oriented development. I think this plays like kind of into that um, because when you are building TOD projects, you are limiting the VMT that that project would essentially create. Um, And so I think that that's a significant benefit. And also, you know, there are all these incentives as well that when you're building certain kinds of housing that are near transit, your parking requirement is limited. Um, And there is some nuance to that too, even from a development perspective that, you know, parking is sometimes a necessity, but at the end of the day, transit-oriented development is, you know, attempting to reduce parking, meaning that you should have less folks moving into that property that own a vehicle, Mm -hmm. and then they can rely on alternative modes and VMT is reduced. And so I think that's really great. Now, in, you know, kind of discussing other related legislation, There's SB 375, uh, which came out in 2008, and that requires that each metropolitan planning organization, and again, if you haven't heard this in previous podcasts, a metropolitan planning organization is an organization that plans for a specific region. So for Sam, she's up in one MPO, um, which I'm drawing a blank on. I don't know what your MPO is. I think it's there's the it's called a bag I'm right. and it's the uh association of bay area governments yes so you have a bag 
I'm in SCAG, which is the Southern California Association of Governments. Each of these MPOs basically has a set number of cities in that region that they have to plan for in terms of all aspects, economic development, transportation, housing, et cetera. And so SB 375 requires that each of these MPOs adopt something called an SCS, which is a sustainable community strategy. And that's part of its regional transportation plan. So VMT reductions are now a part of a it's a key strategy in the sustainable communities strategies that are being put out in these general plans or these regional transportation plans. Sorry. And And sorry, before you go on, there's one thing that I, when you're talking about parking that Mm -hmm. has recently come out and I don't know how I didn't think about it, but there's a lot of parking legislation that's been coming out. So if you live in California, look, look into it if you're interested, there's one called assembly bill 2097 and I know I've talked about this before, but really quickly, mm-hmm. if you are building with like housing or any project, really, I think within a certain radius of high quality transit, you don't the city that you are in or the jurisdiction cannot impose a parking minimum on a project. And I do like this is not to say that if you are within half mile or quarter mile of high quality transit, you're not going to put parking. It just means that you're going to put parking based on what the market will bear. So if you have a project, let's just say, for example, it's 50% affordable housing and it's 50% market rate and affordable housing tends to be less likely to own a vehicle. And you say, okay, well, I'm not going to put parking for a certain percent of the affordable units or whatever the calculation that you're doing, like the city or jurisdiction can no longer be like, no, you have to put one space per unit if you're within that radius. So that's just another way that like that putting it, not putting in parking is going to incentivize people or force them even to use alternative modes, not in like a, negative way like this is i think really the state trying to be like we have to make changes to the way that we think about development and you know single occupancy vehicle ownership and investment in transit and all these things that have to happen at the same time and it they're taking steps and it's just i feel like i'm so much more eloquent in this episode than any other because i actually know what i'm talking about (laughs) but it's just really very fascinating to me yes it is and also like We've talked about this on many, many episodes, just kind of how problematic the condition of like parking structures, parking spaces, like the, you know, I mean, Los Angeles as like the concrete jungle. Yes, like that's also in reference to like the large buildings and all of that, but also in reference to the vast amount of vacant parking lots that sit where nobody's parking in them and they're taking up space and they're just absolutely unnecessary, especially when you're in such an urban environment that does have high quality transit accessibility. Why are we building or why do we need one parking space per unit, especially when you're talking about affordable housing, especially if it's permanent supportive housing, where a lot of these folks don't own a vehicle? Why are you putting a parking space in for that unit? They don't have a car. 
they're not going <laughs> it's just like the logic there was never sound and so i do feel like these new pieces of legislation or requirements that are coming down are really going to be of benefit although a lot of people kind of hear it as like oh you're taking all parking away i always feel like everybody goes to the extreme yeah like they hear like parking legislation is coming out and they're like oh my god they're trying to take all the parking spots away like no guys promise you we're not going to go bulldoze all of the you know parking spaces or whatever it's just like if they're not necessary we don't need to include them right i mean parking is like such a key factor to so many people when they're picking a place to live oh yeah so it's like no there's gonna be opportunity like there's a new project near where i live where it's legitimately like not on top of a train station but like you could not get closer um and it's primarily commercial slash like office space and so they're not putting parking yeah because they're like we are at a train station so you know hopefully everyone who's going to be using that space is close enough to a train station or bus stop that they could get there but that's kind of the scenario where it's like, okay, you're not going to be having people living there who might need to drive. Like, it's just going to be people going to and from work. Yeah. So it's, I'm like, and the, I think, you know, I think that's a good use case of when you might not need any parking, but I think that it's going to take a while until we get a residential that has like actually zero parking spaces. I don't know. Yeah, that's definitely not going to happen anytime soon you know, unless somehow miraculously we can start just dumping in rail lines all around, you know, (laughs) Southern California and Northern California. Um, But I do think these are good steps in the right direction. Um, And also just allowing people the opportunity to rethink their travel behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's something like, because I did a certificate in transportation planning at USC um, in the program. And we had to track our VMT like in a log over a week long period. And I didn't really realize like you always think, okay, yeah, it's, you know, I live like 20 miles from work, just example. So my VMT is 20 miles. Nope. Because I did go to the gym. I went to the grocery store. I went and got a coffee. I went and I took Milo to the park. So I had to drive there. Like whatever the case is, your VMT is a lot more excessive than you actually think. And now here's your homework assignment for the week, guys. You're going to do a VMT log and you're going to track your VMT and you're going to write it down and you're going to send the spreadsheet to Sam and I so that we can review. Spreadsheet. A spreadsheet. I want to see a spreadsheet. I want it in an Excel format. I want it to look beautiful. Oh God. Okay. I'll do it. <laughs> Starting today. Perfect. I'm not leaving my house. <laughs> so I was like Sunday, zero miles. No, I'm gonna stay home all week. Oh, I'm, I love that. I'm gonna be a hermit. No, I'm just kidding. That's great. I mean, look, if you can do that, more power to you. <laughs> I think I'll go crazy. Yeah, likewise. So, all right, just jumping back into this episode after we've gone over your homework assignment. Sam and I kind of want to talk about the VMT reduction co-benefits, and there are quite a few. So when we talk about reducing VMT, the benefits that are associated with this is that you have a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, and this is a big one. You're going to hear this constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Sam's like, whoop, whoop. Love that. You have a reduction on other air pollutants that are harmful to your health, such as PM10 and PM2.5. Now, 
This is an interesting one because we often talk about in, you know, transportation, these kind of adverse effects that happen to other people that are not yourself. So often you think, okay, I'm driving my car by myself, you know, on the road and I'm going to work. Who am I harming? Mm -hmm. You're harming a lot of folks because what your car is doing is if you don't own an electric vehicle or a hybrid vehicle, you're or actually I think hybrid vehicles still are, are emitting emissions. But um, if you're driving an electric vehicle, you're not emitting any, you know, emissions and you still are, are um, inflicting adverse health effects to other people because yeah, there's those, those tires. Yeah. Your tires. You also, uh, your, your lithium batteries, the disposal. Oh, well, going back to like, yeah, um, lithium mining. Oh. Oh, absolutely. So if you think that driving an electric vehicle completely rids you of, you know, any kind of uh, uh, adverse health effects to the rest of the population, you're quite wrong. But I digress. Um, (laughs) So anyways, the point of this is that when you're driving your car and you're going down the freeway and you're getting to work, you are having you're inflicting adverse health effects onto other people because your car is is, um, emitting air pollutants that are impacting the health of others. So a reduction in VMT then also is reducing the air pollutants that are being emitted. And so essentially you're saving lives. So just stop driving. (laughs) Okay. Next, I'm talking about the reduction in water pollution. So this could include runoff and and other things associated. You're also reducing the risk of vehicle-related fatalities. So this is in regards to safety. Obviously, we do know, I think California is one of the... one of the states with the highest fatality rates due to motor vehicle accidents. So this is, you know, reduction in VMTs also being associated with with increased safety. You also can have an increased active lifestyle because you're either now choosing alternative modes that aren't even a bus. You know, you're walking, you're biking. And even if you are taking the bus, you're walking to your bus stop. So you're just being a more active individual or it's enhancing a more active lifestyle, which is extremely beneficial. And then finally, you have the mental health benefits. You're spending less time sitting in your car in traffic. And let me tell you, as somebody who spends three hours one way on my way home after work, my mental, the mental health decline I cannot even begin to describe the second I get home, which is typically around 7 p.m., 7.30, I just want to go to bed. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to do anything. I don't even want to wash my face. I just want to go to bed and hibernate for 12 hours. So when you're not sitting in traffic, you know, you also have more time to do other things like go to your third place, go take a walk in the park, go get some coffee. So again, VMT reduction Tons of benefits, guys. Throw that car away. Do you really need it? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I do. I need yeah. no, me. I'm like walking on the 210 freeway <laughs> to work, get there in three days. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I think even though, you know, you might have, I mean, I have kind of a, my commute's not horrible right now, but I do have like a solid 30 minutes on the train every morning. Mm-hmm. I don't see that as the same as commuting via car because I don't have to be paying attention. Yeah. And I can just like read a book or go on TikTok or do whatever thing that's going to help me like decompress and like get ready for the day, which definitely like isn't TikTok, but sometimes, you know, you just gotta, 
You just got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I try to read most mornings on the just, train. <laughs> just us the other day, like talking about being addicted to social media. Yeah. It's real. So honestly, if you need to decompress and watch a little TikTok video before you get to work, do, more it. Power to you. do it. Do it. Whatever gets you through the day, guys. Literally. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Because we always say we're going to do a short episode and then we blab I know. on. <laughs> One thing I love is chit-chatting. Yes. How is this being addressed? Um, I just wanted to point out that literally everything comes back to walkability, transit accessibility, 15-minute cities, like literally everything we talked about, I feel like could connect back to that. And there's a lot of ways that this is that, you know, VMT is being addressed. I think we've talked about a few like legislative ones that the state and local jurisdictions can leverage. There's also, you know, something called TDM, transportation demand management. And these are strategies, policies, programs, et cetera, that can reduce VMT and support sustainable modes. And a lot of, well, I don't, I I won't say a lot, but there's cities that are coming out with TDM ordinances, which is saying, you know, this is kind of the bare minimum expectation of TDM for new development projects. And there's like developers who are going to have TDM plans for their own projects where they're going to say, okay, or even like jurisdictions where they're going to say, we're going to give transit subsidies, which is like discounted transit passes for folks who live in a, in a place or work at a place. And I think, you know, that in and of itself, taking some of that cost to make transit more incentivizing, I think in the Bay area, unlike LA, I like, you know, there's some transit options that are expensive and, there's still a need for subsidies. BART is really expensive. Um, I used to take it, you know, from where I am into downtown San Francisco, and it would cost me like six fifty each way. So when it's okay, that's thirteen bucks a day. Like that's expensive. So I think, particularly here, and not per- I mean, you know. It's good everywhere. But like when you're paying $13 a day on BART, like just on transit, then I think a lot of people do think, well, what would I be paying in gas? Is it more? Is it less? Is it about the same? I'm just going to drive. Right. So these subsidies are really important for a lot of people to kind of switch their mindset about taking transit. Um, Increased bike and pedestrian infrastructure land use decisions that minimize driving. So that's, you know, infill housing that is in, like I said earlier, like in a downtown area or in an area where there's already amenities present, um, providing information about transit and offering community-based travel planning, which a lot of people don't even know what services are around them. And when you have a billion other things going on, it's not like you're going to go onto the website and be like, oh, like, I wonder what where I can take the bus. And so having someone who can help you say, OK, where do you need to go in a day, like work and then the grocery store and then the gym or whatever, probably not in that order. But then, like, they can help you kind of plan out your trip. I think that's like a really interesting one. 
And then like micromobility services, like first, last mile. So if you're wanting to take the bus, but it's a mile away from your home and you're not going to walk that mile every morning, something that some cities and jurisdictions are starting to do is have on-call services. So it's kind of like an Uber, but it's through public transportation agencies and it's typically pretty inexpensive. And you can just say, okay, I need to get to this bus stop and I'm at my house, come pick me up and drop me off there. And I think that's also like, I think first last mile is a really big deterrent to taking transit. Cause you're like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to walk 20 minutes right now. I got my big bag. Like I have, or maybe you're dropping your kid off at, you know, daycare or school. And you're like, I'm not walking with my child that far. Like what, what do I do? And I think that's a really great option. So there's a lot of strategies that can be experimented with in terms of TDM and how to decrease BMT. And it's definitely an exciting space to work in as we see more cities adopting these TDM ordinances and VMT reduction thresholds and all these different things. Yeah, there's, you know, it's an interesting point how you had kind of talked about um, how expensive BART is, just as an example. And transit is quite expensive, mainly because ridership is so low. Um, so that's that's a big kind of, you know, reason why your tickets are are so expensive is you know, they have to keep the service running and there's just a lot of elements at play. But one thing that I would point out, which I only point out because I remember I was in a class one time and a student was asking the guest speaker, um, who actually happened to be my dad. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm pretty sure this is my dad. <laughs> my dad came to speak at a, at a class that I was in. And, um, one of the students was, you know, telling him, he was like, well, Metrolink is a hundred dollars a month for, for my pass. So it would be much easier for me to drive my car. And in response to that was the argument that, yeah, sure. hundred bucks, you know, it's a lot monthly. Absolutely. But so is not only the fact that you're paying for gas on your vehicle. And so maybe that is just a hundred dollars, but you're paying for your vehicle's registration every year, insurance insurance every month. My insurance is $200 a month. I have people that's less expensive, but it's still a cost that's on the car. You have, uh, your services that you have to pay for. So oil changes, tire rotation, changing your tires. I just changed my tires. I wanted to die. Tires are expensive. Tires are insane right now. And I went, I I thought I was getting a freaking steal at America's Tires. (laughs) I I left there feeling like I got robbed. I called my dad. I was like, I don't know what just happened if I'm being quite honest, but, uh, you know, I feel like something has happened. Um, so I think there's, you know, a lot of times people want to equate like transit cost versus gas. Right. That's not the case. Right. You need to be taking transit cost and vehicle in totality, meaning mm-hmm. your tires, your service, your registration, your insurance, and your gas every month. Mm-hmm. So it's far more costly for you to be driving your vehicle than it is for you to be taking transit. Although the upfront cost might be a little bit more for you, you know, when your car is breaking down on the freeway or you mm-hmm. get a flat tire and you don't have AAA. 
that's going to be a real big cost that you're not going to incur if you're using transit. But again, it also comes down to, and I know the argument always is that, well, it's more convenient for me to be in my car. And I totally respect that. But as Sam said, would you rather be sitting in your car, just dreading the day, having to listen to, you know, your podcast or your music, or would you rather be scrolling on TikTok in the train? You know, <laughs> let's, let's weigh the costs and benefits here, guys. Yeah. Uh, I wish it was that simple, but anyway, it's like, hmm. I mean, I am doing everything in my power to, when I move out into the Cité, not have a car. Yeah. I just don't want to pay for it. Honestly. Yeah. Like I would honestly, probably it would be nice to have a car. I hate to say it. I've always yeah. had, a, I've like always been within access of a vehicle mm-hmm. except for when I was in college, but then like nobody has a car Exactly. Uh, where I was. So I'm like kind of worried about it, but it's a new adventure and it's going to challenge me and I'm not going to have to pay for it. But also Sam, remember, let's talk about the benefits here. I know, I know. You know? You're a more active lifestyle. I'm going to get so harm to others. You're going to be, you're going to go on your hot girl walk for your first last mile. Or I'm going to bike to work because I was looking and that's actually the fastest way to get there. Beautiful. Beautiful. And there are a lot of bike services that are in the city that are like, I think it's like $2 to rent a bike. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we, we get subsidized bay wheels through my job. Exactly. See, beautiful. Look at that. Workplace subsidies are actually also a really cool thing. Like there are some organizations that will pay you to use transit, which yeah, I think my really job cool. will actually pay a certain up to a certain federal limit of transit subsidy for employees. Phenomenal. Look at that. See more TDM strategies. We just yeah. love to see it. Right. And not to mention that parking in my building is like $60 a day. So <laughs> my God, yeah. That's well, I mean, honestly, as much as we hate that, we also kind of love it because yeah, we're trying to get you to not want to park there. Yeah. Not want to park at all anywhere. All right. Look at that. Blew through it. I feel like is this gonna be one of our shorter episodes? Probably. You love that. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Urban Planning is Not Boring. If you did, please remember to send us to your friends and follow us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, guys, urban planning is not boring. No, it is not. <laughs>